Defending the second dose delay. Yeah, it's correct to say that the science on this is evolving. The pushback against BC's accelerated vaccine plan. Tackling needle phobia. It can almost be like a panic attack. Experts take a shot at solving a fear that could delay herd immunity. And BC's overdose nightmare continues. We are overstretched and we are under-resourced. The deadly new danger delivering a record-breaking high. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Between Canada's three approved COVID-19 vaccines, nearly a million doses will be arriving this week. But as Richard Zussman reports, now there are growing concerns over BC's ability to meet the staffing and facility needs for the largest mass vaccination program in the province's history. So the first thing I'm going to do is put on a disposable gown. It's a routine part of Dina Davidson's job as a midwife. Visit an expecting mother. But soon Davidson will go from only delivering babies to also delivering vaccines. Oh, I'm so excited. I am so excited. The province hoping the approval of midwives, dentists, pharmacy techs and retired nurses to provide the vaccine will help hit the ambitious goal of at least one COVID shot for every adult in BC by mid-July. We can do it in our sleep. We've often joked about that. These retired nurses worried not enough of their old colleagues know they can give the poke again. By opening the door again to retired nurses, it's going to actually pave the way for a huge resource pool. Vaccine supply ramping up. BC set to receive around 260,000 Pfizer doses in March, around 158,000 Moderna doses, and 36,000 AstraZeneca doses as early as this week. With no plan, though, on exactly how non-essential healthcare workers will get them. We will use whatever we can get because we know that it's going to make a difference. Nurses in the province will be doing a majority of the COVID-19 vaccine, but the head of the union says they are overworked, exhausted, and giving a shot is not just as simple as a poke in the arm. Sitting down with somebody, explaining what they're getting, why they're getting it, the pros and cons, answering any questions, um, making sure they understand when they'll get their next dose, administering the vaccine, and then monitoring them for side effects. And this is leaving doubts about whether mid-July is even possible to have everybody vaccinated once. I think many people can be trained to give the vaccine, the bigger part is how many people are going to be available to supervise and do all the complex tasks that surround the injection. So even with midwives and others helping, the province being encouraged to take baby steps before a full-out sprint to the vaccine finish line. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The province today formally extended the state of emergency, uh, emergency through March 16th to continue BC's COVID-19 response. Here's a look at today's numbers. We have 438 new cases, bringing BC's total to 81,367. Two more people have died, which means we've now lost 1,365 to complications of the virus. 243 people are in hospital, 63 patients in the ICU. 75,255 are considered recovered, and that leaves us with 4,679 active cases and 8,445 people in self-isolation. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, Dr. Henry says today, if everything goes as planned with Moderna, Pfizer, 
Uh, everyone should have a vaccine by mid-July, but the additional vaccines could bump that up to as early as June. What factors are at play here? Yeah, very interesting. AstraZeneca, of course, is all, always uh, about to arrive in British Columbia. Also, Johnson & Johnson, their Janssen vaccine, has been approved by the FDA, FDA in the United States, likely to be approved by Health Canada. We get to have four vaccines uh, quite uh, quickly here in B.C., a massive number of them. Now, Dr. Henry's advice is don't wait to get one particular vaccine. Take the vaccine that's put in front of you. All of them are considered safe. There is a little bit of, a bit of choice. I would not suggest people wait. Um, these vaccines are all good and they all work and we've seen that across the world. Um, so the vaccine that you have is the best vaccine right now and uh, we'll be coming out with some more details. We're looking at the numbers and where we can have the best impact. So about 200,000 people have been vaccinated so far with at least one dose. So we're looking at almost, a little more than 4 million people between now and the end of July. You start doing the math, Chris, we're talking 30,000 uh, inoculations a day, seven days a week. This is a massive task and it's going to be fascinating to see how we can carry it out. All right. Let's hope we all pull together and get her done. Thanks, Keith. Now, more questions tonight about the B.C. government's move to increase the time between the first and second doses of the COVID vaccines. Dr. Bonnie Henry says that decision to wait up to four months is based on evidence. But as Ted Trenecki reports, other experts are questioning the change. B.C.'s chief health officer is sticking with plans to extend the date of a second COVID vaccine dose, and doctors of B.C. are supporting her. They've taken a bold and courageous step here in making this decision. It's in response to the real world evidence, the real world science that we're seeing on the ground here in British Columbia. With the virus mutating into variants, better to have some protection than none at all. But others say delaying that second dose is in itself risky. Longer delays in the second dose have not really been examined very carefully. From other vaccines, we think that it might still work. We need to follow carefully after they have received their delayed second shot to ensure that the second shot remains effective. Well, when you decide to try something new uh, on an entire population, it, it, it amounts to, um, to a human experiment. There'll be no extending the second dose stateside where Dr. Fauci is repeating now what he said on February 8th, that he worries that a single dose could trigger even more mutations. The way viruses respond to pressure, you could actually be inadvertently selecting for more mutants by a suboptimum response. So for that reason, we feel the optimum approach would be to continue with getting as many people on their first dose as possible, but also making sure that people on time get their second dose. In the medical world, they have a saying that it takes 17 years for a product to go from laboratory bench to hospital bedside. This isn't a time when we have the luxury of having a 17-year debate about what the right approach is. Um, we don't even have 17 weeks. Yes, there is some evidence that a single dose is better than none at all. But to be clear, this is happening because of a vaccine supply shortage. And everyone would have liked to have stayed with the original plan. Ted Chernecki, Global News. B.C.'s overdose nightmare isn't ending. January saw the highest ever number of deaths tied to toxic drugs, with more than five people on average in B.C. dying every single day. Nadia Stewart takes a look at the grim statistics and the warnings about new and even deadlier drugs on the street. 
Each day in January, deaths were reported, none of them caused by COVID-19, but the ongoing deadly opioid crisis, claiming five lives every day. Granted, we're losing more lives to the opioid epidemic than we are to COVID. Michelle Jansen has been an outspoken advocate since her son, Brandon, died in March 2016, counted among the many who fell victim to addiction. Still, a recent survey found British Columbians have begun to tune out the message, even as the death toll reaches a new level of devastation. The death toll becomes white noise when it's reported by the media and people just hear the numbers, but people need to understand that these are human lives. 165 suspected illicit drug toxicity deaths were reported in January, making it the worst month on record, with an average of 5.3 deaths every day. There's also been a significant uptick in overdoses involving etizolam, a tranquilizer that's not licensed or prescribed in Canada. Our first response to a poisoning epidemic should be giving people an opportunity not to die from a poison drug supply. You access this machine through biometrics. The numbers released the same day the federal government is announcing 3.5 million for prescribed medication dispensing machines, expanding the program to five sites in four cities, including Vancouver and Victoria. We are seeing at a level uh, where we need absolute investment in this. Uh, We're clearly not seeing it from this government. But critics and advocates say the province needs to take bold steps in the fight to save lives. Mental Health and Addictions Minister Sheila Malcolmson says more people using alone indoors is a key factor. The province is also trying to expand access to safe supply. The work uh, to further expand the number of prescribers and the types of safe supply is underway. It hasn't been done in Canada before. Time is of the essence here. Extreme fentanyl levels were found in nearly one in five deaths in January pointing to an increasingly toxic drug supply. Nadia Stork, Global News. Caught on video, a tense standoff today between RCMP and alleged car thieves in the B.C. interior. Video posted on Facebook shows police taking the suspects into custody on Highway 97 between Williams Lake and 100 Mile House. Before this, a shot had been fired from the stolen truck when the suspects were first confronted. The driver refused to stop for police and a chase was called off after it reached speeds of 120 kilometers an hour. The truck finally stopped after driving over a spike belt. A man and a woman were arrested. No word on charges at this point. BC's Trial Lawyers Association says it scored a victory in its battle against the government's plan to move ICBC to a no-fault system. The new system is intended to drastically reduce payouts to lawyers. Aaron MacArthur has the details of a critical BC Supreme Court decision. Crashes happen every day. For the most part, the collisions are minor. So are the injuries. One of the key ways ICBC banked on cutting down on costs was to pull these types of cases out of the court system. No lawyers, no trials. Instead, they would be dealt with by an online tribunal. Parts of that tribunal have been ruled unconstitutional. People hurt in a crash, no matter how minor, have the right to an impartial, federally appointed judge. Not a panel appointed by the same provincial cabinet with oversight of ICBC. We think that the... uh independence of our superior courts is an important feature of Canadian democracy. 
and that Canadians should not be quick to give up their rights to access an independent judiciary. The move away from the courts began in April 2019. A statement from the Attorney General says, we will be taking time to review the court's decision. We made changes so those who are injured in motor vehicle accidents can use the Civil Resolution Tribunal to resolve their lower value disputes in a timely and fair manner. The statement goes on to say the CRT is an independent tribunal which has been in place for years and has fairly resolved thousands of disputes. The uncertain outcome of this decision has already been accounted for in ICBC's finances, and as a result, it will not impact the COVID-19 rebates or reductions in rates effective May 1st. This does not uh, signify an overhaul of the system. It is just who's going to be able to, to make fundamental determinations about the rights of British Columbians. This is the second time in 18 months the government has lost in court on the changes it is bringing to car insurance in B.C. Other jurisdictions, such as Manitoba, with no-fault insurance, have similar tribunals to deal with claims. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It seems there's no slowing down the B.C. real estate market. New sales numbers show a return to multiple offers with no conditions where only the seller wins. That's next on the News Hour. Scary moments for a man after falling into a frozen lake and how rescuers brought him to safety. Coming up on the News Hour. Forget your purse, let's go! And the water was a lot warmer for Florida deputies who pulled off their own rescue. We'll have that for you later as well. So multiple offers, thousands of dollars over asking price, no subjects. That is becoming, once again, the new normal for B.C.'s housing market. And according to new data, no area is hotter than the Fraser Valley. Catherine Urquhart breaks down what's selling and what experts say is causing this housing frenzy. Welcome to this beautiful open concept floor plan, uh, nine-foot ceilings, AC. Winston Terraces is one of the latest townhouse developments in Langley, and already it's sold out. Homes in the Fraser Valley are now selling at a record pace. In 30 days, we sold 13 homes, and we're still receiving calls. The Fraser Valley Real Estate Board says there were 2,815 sales in February, 18% more sales than any previous month ever. The benchmark price for a single detached house is $1.163 million, up 20% compared to the same time last year. We're still seeing, I think, the, the impacts of the, uh, the low interest rate environment, uh, very low mortgage rates driving uh, more uh, households into the market. Uh, we're, of course, also seeing the effects of the pandemic and that uh, people have been uh, striving for more space. More space is important for many people as they're now working from home. Also impacting the market, lack of inventory. In Greater Vancouver, the benchmark price for a detached home is $1.621 million, up 13.7% compared to February of 2020. Townhouses increased 7.2%, putting the benchmark price at 839000 and apartments increased 2.5% to 697,000. I don't think that the, any growth of this type of nature is sustainable. I think that we are probably hitting a little tipping point, especially that mortgage rates did, of course, provide a more of an affordability boost. Uh, but at the same time, people are, are uh, stretching their limits a little bit more than they were previously. And while some buyers are stretching their financial limits, this real estate market is proving too hot 
for many others. I've had a couple of clients trying to get into a townhome for the last three months now. We've probably missed out on about six or seven different townhomes in multiple offer situations. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Hundreds of affordable housing units will soon be ready for seniors in Squamish. Canada's housing minister announced the $40.5 million commitment to a new independent living complex, along with provincial and municipal funding. The new West Winds independent housing complex will provide 232 units for seniors. It'll replace the current complex and expand capacity by more than 300%. In addition to providing affordable housing, it'll also have health care, counseling and a food bank. It's slated to open by the end of the year. I believe we are making a difference and taking a significant step forward towards ensuring the seniors in our community are cared for and can remain in Squamish throughout this chapter of their lives. We already have another 100 people on our waiting list. So uh, th- this good news is coming at a, at, at a great time of need in our community. And certainly West Winds is, is going to fulfill a lot of that need. An Okanagan resident has come forward to share his experience with ExploreNet. It's a company that provides internet services in the area. Tonight, the Better Business Bureau is validating complaints about billing, saying it has a long list from customers over the years. Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports. Well, I immediately just will flash back to what happened to me. Charles Oliver is talking about a global news story involving an Enderby couple who had billing problems with an internet provider. That doesn't surprise me one bit. About a year ago, he was moving from Karameas to Kelowna and needed to cancel his service with ExploreNet, a Canadian company with headquarters in the Maritimes. But cancelling the service, he says, was nearly impossible. They gave me an 800 number to call and I phoned out, never got an answer, never got a, never got a response back. He says he only got a recording for an entire hour. He followed up with emails saying he needed to cancel, but still no reply. He had to stop automatic payments through his bank, but not before losing more than $300 for a service he never used. Very disappointed because, you know, I know that I can't afford to put that kind of money out. Last week, Sheila Van Leeuwen and Don Arnell shared their experience. When they wanted to cancel their service, they say ExploreNet encouraged them to suspend the account for six months instead. The company automatically restarted debiting their account after those six months, racking up a large bill before the couple noticed the charges. Since the Enderby couple story aired on Global News and the Better Business Bureau getting involved, ExploreNet did reach out to the couple saying they will reimburse their nearly $800 in charges. And while the couple is happy to be getting their money back, they say it shouldn't take going to the media and the BBB for companies to do the right thing. The Better Business Bureau is familiar with the company, saying it currently has a C-minus rating on the BBB's website. As for ExploreNet's side of things, Global News reached out for comment multiple times with phone calls and emails, but has not heard back. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Just ahead, some emotional testimony at the inquest into a police shooting. What the RCMP officer who fired the fatal shot says about the night Hudson Brooks died. Also tonight, a brutal assessment of America's domestic terrorism problem and the people who stormed the Capitol last month. 
still super busy over here for southbound traffic to the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge after clearing a much earlier medical emergency southbound at mid-span. As you can see, it's just a ribbon of headlights all the way down the cut on Highway 1, and every available feeder route out of North Vancouver is jammed as well. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $24 million. Lotto Max, stream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. The homicide investigation team says an 11-year-old boy badly injured Friday afternoon near Harrison Mills has now died in hospital. It happened on the Skelet's First Nation. Paramedics rushed an 11-year-old boy to hospital in critical condition. Police are releasing few details other than saying the boy's injuries were suspicious and were the result of an isolated incident. They say there are no concerns about the wider public safety. A powerful day of testimony at the coroner's inquest into the 2015 death of Hudson Brooks. The 20-year-old was shot and killed in South Surrey outside the RCMP detachment, sparking community outrage. And the RCMP officer who fired the gun described her version of that tragic night apologizing to the young man's mother. Grace Key reports. Through tears, Constable Elizabeth Kucherin described the night she fatally shot and killed 20-year-old Hudson Brooks outside the South Surrey Detachment back in July 2015. Police initially responded to a call of a man wearing only boxer shorts screaming. At the coroner's inquest into his death, she said, As he was closing the distance between him and I, I could not get away fast enough. I was trying to run backwards with my gun out, and eventually I realized that he was actually screaming at me, Kill you, kill you, kill you you kill me and I remember thinking like I'm not going home tonight this guy is saying that he wants to kill me I have my gun out and at this point I think that's when I fired the first shots I could still hear his voice like it was yesterday it was absolutely terrifying Kucherin said she couldn't see the officer who radioed earlier that Brooks was coming at him she also had a recruit with her, further intensifying the situation. She said Brooks only flinched when she shot him and he continued to move toward her. When someone says they want to kill you and they charge at you and they're reaching for your gun and knowing that I have all these other tools, taser, pepper spray, baton, and your gun outstretched in your arm, I had everything he needed to kill me on me. That is what he was trying to get. Kutrin lost her footing and Brooks landed on top of her. She fired her gun again, striking Brooks and hitting herself in the leg. Other officers arrived, pulling her out and pepper spraying Brooks. It was determined Kutrin fired her gun 12 times, nine of them hitting Brooks. Before leaving the stand, Kutrin asked if she could say something to the mother. I have been waiting almost six years to express my sincerest apologies that you had to bury your son. As a mother myself, I have grieved for you. And I want you to know I never went out there intending for the night to end this way. And I am incredibly sorry for your loss. Grace Key, Global News. Terrifying moments for patients and hospital staff in New Westminster when a man brought a firearm into the ER. It happened yesterday morning at Royal Columbian Hospital. A staff member spotted a gun tucked into the waistband of a man's pants while he was waiting for treatment. They called police and the ER was quickly evacuated. The man was safely taken into custody. The firearm was determined to be a BB gun, but no word on why he brought it with him to the hospital. Charges are now being considered. Still ahead, don't let needle phobia stop you from getting the vaccine. They want to run away. What you can do to take away some of the mental anguish when it's time to get your shot. 
Also tonight, domestic terrorism in the United States. What the head of the FBI says about the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Traffic is steady north and south over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but do keep in mind overnight maintenance causes lane closures in both directions from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Is buying a home still possible? A CIBC mortgage advisor will show you how to make your ambition real, plus get up to $3,000 cash back. Conditions apply. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The Canadian economy posted its worst showing on record in 2020 due to the pandemic. Statistics Canada says the country's real GDP dropped 5.4% last year. That is the sharpest decline since 1961 when quarterly data was first recorded. COVID-19 has crippled the Canadian economy, shutting down businesses and putting millions of people out of work. Nearly two months after the attack on the U.S. Capitol, the director of the FBI was grilled on the failures in security that allowed the mob to overtake the building. But also about the makeup of the riot itself and the increased threat the U.S. faces from homegrown terrorists. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. It's behavior that we, the FBI, view as domestic terrorism. A blunt assessment from Christopher Wray, director of the FBI, who warned U.S. lawmakers that the January 6th attack on the Capitol was part of an ongoing threat. The problem of domestic terrorism has been metastasizing across the country for a long time now, and it's not going away anytime soon. It's a grim snapshot of the internal conflict facing the United States. Defending his bureau's handling of the attacks, Ray says online calls for violence ahead of January 6th seemed to be aspirational and disorganized, but were worrying enough to generate an intelligence report. It was concerning and was specific enough that we, That's... our folks in Norfolk, thought the need to get it out. Even But that runs counter to what former police and security officials said just last month, that they didn't see the warnings. We now know that we had the wrong plan. During his testimony, Ray rebuked a central argument from Republicans that the crowd was comprised of extremists from all sides, pushing back on claims that fake Trump supporters played a role. We have not to date seen any evidence of, uh, of anarchist violent extremists or, or people subscribing to Antifa uh, in connection with the sixth. Ray testified that participants fell into one of two groups, militias or those who advocate for white supremacy. Racially motivated violent extremism is the biggest chunk of our domestic terrorism portfolio. Homegrown terror probes in the United States are up 40% since last year alone. There are 2,000 active investigations, while arrests for racially motivated violence have tripled since 2017. And noticeably absent from the hearings was the FBI's explanation for their own assessment on the threat of an attack. In court filings, prosecutors allege extensive pre-planning and coordination efforts by far-right groups. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. Well, the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines is great news for most people, but for some, it's a source of anxiety, even outright terror. Linda Aylesworth talked to the experts at BC Children's Hospital for advice on how to deal with the fear of needles when your chance to get the shot comes up. No one likes needles, but as many as one in 10 of us have a fear so extreme that it's been given a clinical name, tripanophobia. These are people, you know, essentially have full-blown, you know, what, what I can only describe as a, as a panic attack. So that, and a lot of it is driven by that adrenaline, that fight or flight response. While some develop the disorder because of a traumatic experience with an injection in childhood, the most common cause is thought to be inherited, if not through DNA, then through learned behavior. 
often kids are scared of things that their parents are scared of. Um, and, and we do see that over and over again. Whatever the cause, needle phobias can impact a person's health by causing them to avoid important medical procedures. When it comes to having a vaccine, you think you're going to get a flu shot every year. That's something that if you have a fear of needles, that's a, that's a big deal. Now that the COVID-19 vaccine is being rolled out, there's renewed cause for concern. My concern would be that if someone has a fear of needles, they would be opting out of getting a COVID vaccine. Uh, and I think it's going to be very important that individuals protect themselves when they have the opportunity. But why does the vaccine have to be injected? Why not give it orally, like the polio vaccine was? Or with a nasal spray, like some children's influenza vaccines are administered? When you try and give something orally, when you try and put something in the nose, your body's immune system is so good at rejecting it that it sort of rejects it before it has time to, to have its effect. Right now, a shot in the arm is the most effective way to develop immunity to the SARS-CoV-19 virus. So for those who fear needles, here's some advice. When you're going for a vaccine, I think let them know beforehand, if you can, that this is an issue. There are ways they can be vaccinated that will take that into account and that can reduce that fear. There's things they can do to reduce it. You can find sources of information on how to lessen the fear and discomfort of getting vaccinated on our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Coming up next, a brush with death for a man who fell through the ice. The dramatic rescue caught on camera. And later, a trailblazer in professional hockey talks about some of the punches he took in his incredible career as a ref. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A man in his 60s is expected to be okay after he fell through thin ice on Shannon Lake in West Kelowna. Global's Darian Matassa Fung has more on the rescue effort that was all caught on video. I say to her, I can't run quick enough. A dramatic ice rescue was caught on camera by a bystander at West Kelowna's Shannon Lake Golf Course. A man in his 60s had fallen through the ice at the small lake. Bystanders are heard in the video saying the man had been in the freezing water for around 10 minutes before the fire department arrived. Fire Chief Jason Broland says it was the fire department's first ice rescue of the season. He went on to say it was unclear to why the man was on the thinly frozen lake, but thankfully their training led to quick action. I'm very proud of our crews who have trained all winter for this very type of event and today it happened. They were able to quickly get in the water and pull the gentleman out of the water uh, and rescue him to safety. Ice season is officially over, according to the West Kelowna Fire Department. They are warning residents to stay off the ice. It was double digit temperatures yesterday, it's double digit temperatures again today and we're not even into the warmest part of the day. Um, This was a bad choice and I'd encourage the public Stay off the ice at the valley bottoms now. It is not safe. Darian Matassa, Fung, Global News, West Kelowna. Another cool rescue coming up in Florida right after weather. But our meteorologist Christy Gordon can certainly back up those higher uh, than average temperatures Mm -hmm. in the interior, Christy. 
Yeah, so Kamloops yesterday was the hotspot across Canada at 16 degrees. And today, the hotspot across Canada was in Nelson at 12 degrees. In fact, Nelson broke a record today, as did three other regions in the uh, West Kootenai area. So 11, 12 degrees there. Uh, the Okanagan region, though, when we look at it, we are going to remain well above seasonal for the next little while. We're talking about a good four to six degrees above seasonal for the next several days. And I want you to note, I actually actually did an interview with someone from Avalanche Canada. There's huge cause for concern with this big warm-up. So when we're going to be talking about that tomorrow on the news hour, you'll want to stay tuned for that one. So mild conditions. Now here on the south coast, we're also mild, but we're more near seasonal. The big warm-up is really in through the interior regions, and that's why they're seeing the melt. The target of the moisture will continue to be the central coast and northern parts of Vancouver Island through the next 24 hours. It's not until late Thursday that we're going to see moisture push in. Now, tomorrow morning, though, we still have a slight chance of a sprinkle across Metro Vancouver, but that drops off quickly. And then, as I mentioned, it's not until late Thursday that we'll start to see moisture push in. So in the meantime, for tomorrow, rain around along the north coast, central coast as well, touching down into Whistler, sunshine through the Okanagan Valley, and still double-digit conditions. Northern Vancouver Island periods of rain there, but we will be just south of that moisture. Although, as I said, I wouldn't rule out a sprinkle or two in the morning, but generally it should be dry and mainly cloudy throughout the day. But when that rainfall pushes in late in the day on Thursday, the low pressure center itself will likely push in. We are expecting wind and rain along with that, and it's going to stay unsettled right through the weekend. Tonight, the central windows weather window is a reminder, despite the warming temperatures, winter is still here. Aaron and Guy sending us this one from Prince George. I don't know how long it took you to make that, but that's pretty incredible. Thanks so much. <laughs> nice work, Busker Molens. Mm, well done. All right, thanks, Christy. All right, a dramatic rescue in Florida now where officers rush to help a woman stuck in a sinking car. Climb out to the back! Climb out to the back right now! The door's open! Over the weekend, the deputies responded to reports of a car driven into a retention pond. As you can see from the body cam footage, the first officer on scene waded into the water and was soon joined by a second. Together, they pulled the 73-year-old driver out of the sinking vehicle. You unbuckled? Yeah, I'm unbuckled. Come on, get out. Forget your purse. Let's go. All three made it to shore safely. One of the officers even managed to grab the woman's purse and return it to her when they were back on dry land. Going above and beyond the call of duty in that case, for sure. All right, Squires here. Uh, talked about the return of the WHL uh, last night, Squire. Are we getting more details now? Yes, now it seems to be a done deal. Because uh, yesterday they were told, eh, kind of a tentative yes. Today they've been told they can play for sure. It's going to be a short season. But a short season, even that, makes all the players happy to hear it. Ah, uh, definitely exciting. Yes, no more skating by yourself or going around cones. Real games are coming soon. And later tonight, breaking the color barrier as a professional referee. The remarkable career of Jay Scherer.
Esquire's here with sports. And like you said, uh, shortened season's better than no season for the WHL. Short is better than nothing. I've been <laughs> living with that motto my entire life. Me too. Uh, yes. Chris, on the other hand, is a whole different motto. <laughs> Uh, yesterday, the B.C. division of the Western Hockey League got what sounded like tentative approval to hold a shortened season. Today, though, it was a solid yes. So the five teams, Vancouver, Victoria, Prince George, Kelowna and Kamloops, will get to finally play some hockey, something the kids haven't done since last March. And to say they are excited to play again, well, it's pretty obvious. It's almost been a year since we last played a game, you know, as a team together. So. Just to have all the guys back in town and to see them again is going to be a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to it. It's a sentiment shared by every player, coach and team official of the Western Hockey League's five BC Division teams. Beginning March 6th, clubs will begin self-quarantining and then come March 13th, they'll head off to their respective hub cities, be it Kamloops or Kelowna. Definitely a relief because I think, you know, there's... The further it went, there was always, to me, the risk of not being able to get going and missing an entire season. I know the league was committed to playing, but I think, you know, hopefully the excitement will kick in soon. Right now, it's mostly relief. As Global BC Sports first reported on Monday, when the 24-game season starts up, Kamloops becomes home to the Blazers, Prince George Cougars, and Vancouver Giants, while Kelowna hosts the hometown Rockets and Victoria Royals. All five teams traveling from Hub City to Hub City during the league's two-month regular season. Well, it's important, obviously, to have that variety of competition. And uh, <clears throat> we felt uh, from the outset that, number one, the facilities in Kamloops or Kelowna could not accommodate all five teams. And we felt that there would be less strain on the health systems in both those centers if we had less teams there. So uh, there'll be some uh, movement back and forth. We're still working through the details of the schedule, but uh, we think it's going to work well. We're going to have such a short training camp, <laughs> seven days, um, that these guys haven't bumped into each other in such a long time. Hillway, down low, Prezuzo, back door is in! COVID testing for all team personnel will happen three times prior to play commencing and then weekly tests thereafter. Between the hundreds upon hundreds of tests and the massive costs associated with hosting, feeding, and safely staying inside the dub bubble, we're talking millions upon millions of dollars here. So you can see why the league is hoping for some financial assistance from the provincial government. Uh, to our ownership that are, are playing and delivering the season without any revenue sources. Uh, right now, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think it really demonstrates what they're all about. Okay, as for the BC Hockey League, they are still awaiting a decision on their plan to hold a short season as well. They'll use five different hubs because they have 17 BC teams to deal with. Now, the BCHL isn't new at trying to convince the government to give them a green light to play. They've actually been putting in various proposals on return to play as far back as last July. And they should hear something tomorrow, but Dr. Bonnie said it's not a done deal yet. And there have been a number of concerns identified, I, I'll be blunt about that, um, that uh, need to be addressed before we can, uh, before that can happen safely. And I know timing is an issue, and uh, whether those can be worked out or not, I am not clear. Last night, the Canucks won a game in Winnipeg, which they don't do very often. Tonight, they're taking on the Jets again, although this time the Jets are going with the gray uniforms. Ugly uniforms and an ugly goal. But it counts. Mason Appleton makes it 1-0 as Braden Holtby's in goal for the Canucks tonight. But uh, here's a hustle play by Brock Besser. 
Beats out the icing, finds Elias Pettersson. Now the Canucks weren't very lucky early in the season. It's about time they start getting some breaks. So this one, off the bar, off Lauren Brassois, and then in the net for Elias Pettersson. So it's 1-1. But this is right before the end of the first period. Like literally 2.6 seconds from the buzzer. And Matthew Perot gets a goal. That hurts. That made it 2-1. Power play for the Jets. Kyle Connor is way too wide open. 3-1. But just like the Jets, the Canucks score a goal right before the end of the period. It's a power play goal. Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, red light. So 3-2 after 2 as the Canucks are trying to come back from a two-goal deficit. And also in the North Division tonight, Montreal beat Ottawa 3-1. to one. There you go. All right, Squire, thank you. All right, here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Chris. There's been another Cougar encounter caught on video in Metro Vancouver. We'll talk to the man who captured the images. Plus, the city of Victoria has gone to the B.C. Supreme Court seeking clarity on whether Beacon Hill Park can be used to shelter the homeless. It comes as the province nears a deadline to find accommodation for those living in a growing tent city. Those stories and Canucks highlights tonight at 11. Chris, Sophie? Sounds good. Thanks, Ann. Up next, the hockey ref from B.C. who broke the NHL's color barrier. Stay with us. Okay, it's good to have a packed resume, and uh, the subject of our last story really does in the NHL. That's right. Jay Scherer's uh, from Hope. Uh, quite a guy. I mean, he didn't take very long to get to the NHL. He actually made it at the age of 22, was a linesman, then became a ref, then a linesman again, so he did everything in the NHL. Now he lives in Missouri, and he helps kids uh, who are at lower incomes to get interested in hockey and officiating, but he comes from a remarkable family. His father was a great athlete as well. Dan Scherer's Aquatic Center in Hope is named after a man who left a big mark on sports. Scherer's, who immigrated to Canada from Jamaica, not only taught countless numbers of kids in the area to swim, his son Jay was the NHL's first black official when he became a linesman in 1990. So he was an athlete, my, my father was. Swimming was, was probably his best sport. Um, he competed in the Pan Am Games in 1966, I think, in, in uh, the Caribbean. So he was a very good swimmer. But when Jay decided to make a living on frozen water as a linesman, his dad wasn't so sure that was a good idea. Until I actually got hired by the NHL, and then he saw me work in an NHL rink i think it was in the old pacific coliseum was the first game he saw me work then i think it came to fruition for him that yeah this is actually a career and but he was he was very proud but it meant dealing with and overcoming racism mainly from fans in the u.s as he worked his way up to the nhl i mean my parents instilled in my brother and i such a i think a, a sense of confidence and belief that you know i just i i took it as just being ignorance and people that were intolerant and 
you know, I, I didn't really let it bother me. It only happened once at the NHL level, um, but probably happened more in junior hockey and in the minor leagues, like when I was in the American League and the East Coast League. During his career, Scherer's was one of the best officials the NHL had. He worked Stanley Cup finals, including Game 7 in 2011. He also saw the game change from clutching and grabbing to much more wide open. Definitely something that I noticed towards the end of my career. I was like, man, this is... This is really fast hockey, and I think it's gotten faster since then. And as time wore on, breaking up fights wasn't as necessary, which is good because that can hurt. That's Jay Shares gets it right in the mouth. In the game with Lucic, I was in L.A., and it happened late in the first period, and for the rest of the game, I don't think he was uh, very focused on playing because he was so worried that I was upset. I'm like, hey, man, it was just part of the job. Not a big deal. By the time Jay Shares retired in 2016, he had worked over 1,600 NHL games and skated alongside some of the best players hockey had ever seen. Everything I have in, in my life is because of the game of hockey. I mean, the best friends that I've made, the places I've seen, and I'm just, I'm just very grateful. I'll give you a couple of more tidbits he gave me. Mm -hmm. The coach who made the most noise to officials complained the most, Bob Hartley, who coached in the NHL. And uh, the guy he loved the most of all the players he worked with, Joe Thornton. Hmm. As everybody loves Joe because he just, Joe is just happy to be there. (laughs) That's right. It's a good place to be as a. As an aging hockey player, yes. too. He looks so young to be retired. I know. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, I what guess a, it's, it, it's a workout, for uh, sure. That's true. Uh, what a career. All right, uh, last look at the forecast here before we say goodbye to Christy, too. Thanks. So uh, mild conditions will continue in through the interior for the next few days here along the coast. Seasonal values tomorrow, another dry day, although we could see a few sprinkles in the morning, but generally dry and cloudy. It's not until late Thursday that we'll start to see rain push in. And when it does, it looks like it could be a bit stormy with windy conditions. Okay. thanks very much, Christy. And thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night, all.